Uh, let's pray before we get started. Um, Heavenly Father, be with us today. Reveal your wisdom through your word. Allow us to put you into our, put your words um, before us into our hearts and minds. Allow your mission uh, to be shown to us so that we can show that to the ones around us, Lord. Um, be, be the forefront of our minds and our hearts. Lord, we thank God that you are here amongst us. Um, you love each and every one of us, Lord, and allow us to grow closer to that love. In your precious and holy name, amen. Well, I hate to do this to you right away. Um, little Adam was crawling around with his dummy, like, this morning, and I was on daddy duty, and that dummy has not found his way home. So if you don't mind just, like, looking around the pews, I think he was over, like, amongst this area. So if you don't mind just having a look. Oh, okay, yeah. Thank you. That was actually a lie. He, I knew it was there. Um, not a good way to start a, a sermon on a deception. Um, no, but like that had value to me. If you don't have a dummy and you have a crying baby, you know how valuable that dummy is. Uh, very valuable. Um, and so today I hopefully will unpack how valuable, how valuable sinners are and how valuable the Lord sees sinners. Um, We'll go through context, we'll go through what Max read, and then we'll um, kind of finish on the parable of the um, prodigal son. Um, so thank you for looking, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, that may not have value for you, but I, it was fun to watch you look uh, for something that wasn't there. Um, Luke was written by a doctor. Okay, He went around and interviewed people that um, saw Jesus did the miracles, talked about the parables. So Luke interviewed all these, and his goal was to kind of condense all of that into um, an organized kind of telling of of Christ's story and how he's fulfilled God's story. Um, So we have baby Jesus. He grows up. This is as he's in his journey towards Jerusalem, and we know when he gets there, that's where end of his life is. He's about 30 years old when he's in his um, ministry, so about my age. And um, he is, again, he's healing, he's preaching, and he's doing that as he's going. He's not just sitting in one place and people are coming to him. He's actually going out. Um, and in this particular scene, if you can, I don't have any PowerPoints today, so you're going to have to use your imagination a little bit and put yourself as a fly on the wall or a person in a seat. But he's at kind of a dinner party. And at this dinner party, he has tax collectors, sinners, people that, you know, are lowbrow. And then you have kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. You have these Pharisees who I can tell you are dressed in their whitest robes and they have their beard trim and, you know, they, they are pristine. They may not have eaten that day because it's the Sabbath. So they are together. And they are sitting in the corner murmuring. It's not pleasant. It's not like, hey, like, yay, Jesus is here. Like, I wonder what he's going to tell us. It's like, you know, those mean girls who it's a new girls in town. And it's like, oh, like, what is she doing with her hair? Or like, oh, she's wearing that sweater. 
Jumper, sorry. Got to remember where I am. Jumper. Um, so they're at this feast, and Jesus is there, and he kind of hears them, and they're talking about, um, you know, why, why is he associating with his people? And smack dab, he goes into his parable, okay? And so he goes into um, these simple grabbing stories that relate to the people. He's not saying, okay, the kingdom of God is like this and this and this and this and these really high, complex ideas that the Pharisees are only going to get. Now, he's talking to the tax collectors and the sinners. He's talking to our people that we know, that we rub shoulders with. It's, we're, we're not sticking our pinky out while we're sipping our tea. No, it's the people that are, are the everyday people. Now, your tax collector that he's hanging out with is the low of the low. No one likes them. It's like somebody came to Australia, took us over, conquered us, wiped out our army, and then they said, all of you pay us tax. And one of you, a couple of you, go around and collect it. Now, you, from that tax that you're collecting, you put some of it in your own pocket. Okay? So you're, of the, you're, you're one of us collecting tax from us, and you're taking more than what probably Rome or whoever has conquered us needs. We don't like you. Yet Jesus is hanging out with them. Now the other people are any other people that the Pharisees don't really like. Um, prostitutes, lepers, anybody that's unclean, not acceptable to their high standard. Um, and so these Pharisees are an interesting bunch. They're like if you took a really, really um, strict lawyer and took a pastor who was a goody two-shoes and you put them together, that's a Pharisee. Okay? They know the Bible inside and out, and they also kind of made these little pet rules that go with what they think the Bible is. They follow Moses' law. Their name actually means separated, divided, distinguished. That's what their name actually means. So they don't like anybody that's not a part of their group. Okay, So these guys, like, some of them are good. Some of them actually told Jesus that, uh, that he was going to be um, taken. But most of them are only looking at the black and white. That's all they see. Um, their job, their job is more like to write contracts Marriages, divorces, um, any legal proceedings, they're in your community and they're the ones that know the law inside and out so that all is right. They actually set rules for themselves so they don't really intermingle with the common person of the land, the sinners, the unclean, everybody else. So they didn't trust them with money, orphans, um, if they had a legal dis- uh, uh, dispute, anybody who was a person of the land had absolutely no right to have a statement. So they didn't have voices if you were not kind of closely um, to this Pharisee sect. Now, if you were a Jewish person that went to the synagogue, yeah, you're cool. But if you're like anybody that we don't really trust, we don't care what you have to say. Actually, we don't want to really involve and talk to you, engage with you. So that's the scene. We have our two parties. 
Pharisees on one corner, um, everybody else in kind of the other room, and then Jesus starts talking about these sheep. Now, shepherds, that's an unclean um, occupation in a Pharisee's standpoint. You're dealing with animals. You're sleeping right next to them. You're feeding them. The sheep know you so well that they actually just follow you around because they're familiar with your voice, kind of like a good pet. Or like I feel like sometimes my son like just follows Kirsty around like because he knows him, and and so does the sheep for the shepherd. Um, so the people would get the idea of ninety nine sheep. They'd get that, but what they wouldn't have got, what would have hit them for six is why would you go out for one? Why would you go out for that one sheep? Now I don't know the uh, the cost of sheep. What does anybody know? Like one sh- one lamb. I get one. Yeah, two hundred dollars. That, that's that's pretty good. That's a good amount. But if you had fifty sheep or or like five thousand five thousand dollars versus two hundred dollars, like that's not really like worth your time in my mind. Let them go. Like, and this is kind of me reading between the wor- like the words. But I think of this like I think of old Betsy. Like this sheep. This is an old you. She's, she's past her prime. She stinks, full of dags, like, and has a gimpy, like, front leg. Like, this is good for nothing. You wouldn't even want to eat the meat because it is gross. Yet, the shepherd knows that old Betsy's gone. Because old Betsy's usually the one that gets stuck in the fence, you know? So, what the farmer, or what the shepherd does is he goes out of his way to find old Betsy because he cares and loves old Betsy so much. And when he finds her, it's not like, oh, like, got to throw this over my back. He's overjoyed to do that. He's overjoyed to throw this wet, stinking animal on his back and slug that animal through the bush, through the woods, back home into the open paddock where old Betsy's safe with the rest of them. He loves it. And like, for me, when I find something, it's like, yes. Like, I lose everything. Kirsty can attest to that. Hey, Kirsty, where's my phone? Where's my wallet? Where's my shoes? Where's my glasses? They're on your head, Stephen. Just, just look. So this chapter really speaks volumes to me because I lose just about everything. And so... What we see here is not only somebody going out of their way to find this lamb, this you, but is overjoyed, throws a party. I don't throw parties when I find my wallet. I don't throw parties when I find my shoes. But the thing that I kind of think is, would I throw a party for old Betsy? It's not the first time she probably got lost, nor will it be the last, but would you throw a party for this lamb? I don't know. Moving to the coin, let's, again, perspective. You drop anything on your floor, it's hardwood floor, it's tile floor, oh, there it is, put it in your pocket. Now, a house or a mud brick house or whatever the, the lady was living in probably didn't have huge windows or windows at all, thatch roof and a dirt floor, okay? If you've ever dropped a ring, like it's like dropping a ring in a sand pit, like good luck. So she's not only lighting her dark room up with as many lamps as possible, she's moving all her furniture out, and she's 
having a woman's look. Like, let's be honest. She's going through it all bit by it, bit, sweeping it up, looking. Oh, it's not in this pile of dirt. Let's move that out. Let's look over here. It is a precise look. It's not this haphazard, let's just push things back like guys do. Oh, it's, it's not underneath. Where is it? I can't find it. This is, this is actually going out and seeking this coin. Now, a coin would have been worth one day's wage, so I think a drachma, which today, if we're saying minimum wage is about $110.37, which is a bit of money. I, I would look for that. But I don't know if I would clear out my whole house, put all my clothes in the lawn, uh, pull out the car, you know, take everything out of the house just to look for $110. No, I don't think so. Nor, if I find this $110, well, I'll invite all you guys over to my place to have a party and spend that $110. <laughs> you know? Like, no, that's not happening. But again, the Lord is saying, look, Christ is saying, look, 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 you're missing it. You're missing it. This is valuable. This is important. This is what we should be doing. This is what the Lord is seeing. Okay? And so he's trying to take their perspective and just start twisting it a little bit and, and, and changing it. So again, these Pharisees are like, what are you talking about? Sheep and coins? Well, the tax, tax collectors and the sinners are like, okay, that, that, that kind of like, that makes sense. Um, but it's, it's not really there yet. So Christ transitions to the prodigal son. Now I get that. Like before this, I didn't really, you know, connect with the prodigal son because I didn't have a son. I was a son. I understood the son that went away, but I didn't understand the whole story. So um, if you could open up your Bibles to Luke 15, starting in verse 10. Um, some of you have the NIV. Some of you have King James. Uh, I'm reading out of the Stephen Ford translation today, so just there are going to be a little bit of words that are different. We'll just we'll make sure that we understand as we go. All right. There once was an old farmer from Bort, uh, Feetenby. He had two sons. The younger son told his dad, Hey, Dad, you're taking too long to kick the bucket. I want my inheritance now. So the father held a clearing sale. Selling a third of everything he owned, he sold his old John Deere tractor. He sold his 57 Falcon that took them to Fraser Island. And they told, and he told, they even sold mom's fine china. The younger son packed up everything he owned. His room was bare and he left to Las Vegas. The son got into drugs, developed a entourage and frequent casinos and other disreputable places. Within a month, he was penniless. A famine hit the states, and there was no room, there was no food for the son, and he was forced to take a low-wage job. The job that he was able to take was to clean portaloos for minimum wage. After a long day of cleaning, the son found a soggy, half-eaten Big Mac laying on the toilet seat under the other rubbish and toilet paper. The son came to realize that my father's backpackers have food to spare. I'm starving. I will go home and tell my dad that I've messed up. 
that I've sinned against him, and that he doesn't have to call me his son, but hopefully he'll hire me as a worker. As the son headed home, he was walking about a mile and a half up the, gr- the gravel driveway. The father, sitting on the veranda as he's done since his son left, sipping his coffee, expectantly waiting for his son, sees him off in the distance. The seven-year-old hops out of his seat and runs out to his son. Okay, I'm going to pause there. There'll be more. But again, like that's, that's what Jesus is basically saying. He's taking this situation of this boy who basically wants his dad to be dead, so he gets all his stuff and then goes out. Okay? Maybe some of the people in that room have connected to that story. They connect to this, that son, he's, he's rubbish, he's trash. He, like, he doesn't deserve to come home. He doesn't deserve what, what his, his, his dad has given them. He doesn't, he's lost his value. Now, this is a, a $20 note, okay? Um, if I crumple this up, how much is it worth? $20. Drop it in the loo. $20. Get stuck on the bottom of my shoe. Maybe I slipped in some uh, dog excrement. How much is it still worth? $20. Now, if I gave it to Adam, he, there's no worth to it. He doesn't care. He'd take his baby yum-yum snacks instead. But to us, we know that this is worth $20. doesn't matter who you are, where you are. doesn't matter what happens to it. It still has worth. still has a value. And that's what Jesus is setting up. The coin, the, the sheep, the sun, all have value. Now, our perspective, we could say, no, that sun has zero value. That sheep, no, nah, not really. I wouldn't, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't lose sleep over it. Or that coin doesn't really have value. For us, our human perspective, we can easily cut and say, no, doesn't have any value. But in each story, the Lord or Christ is putting value on each object, Also, in each story, there's an intentional search. The woman is looking. The shepherd is looking. Now, it's interesting in the third story. No one's really searching for the prodigal son. The son is actually looking or finding himself in his own predicament. He's allowing himself to be found by the father, which is kind of interesting, a little little difference. At each end, there's a celebration. There's a joyful party that happens because of this this finding of this lost item. All right, I'm going to pick up back into Luke. Um, So the young son has just come home. He smells. He's covered in swine excrement, sweat, and dirt. He's had a long trip on foot and now is home. I'm picking up in verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with passion for compassion for him. He ran out to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his father, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Hey, quick, quick, bring the best robe and put on him. Bring the ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And they begun to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and he came near to the house. He heard the music and the dancing, and so he called to one of the servants and asked them what was going on. Your brother has come home. He replied, your father has killed the fattened calf because of because he because he has back and safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his plea, Look, at all of these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you've never given me, not even a goat, I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes have come home, you've killed the fattened calf for him? My son, said the father, you are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. Be glad, because your brother of yours, who is dead and is alive again, has, has is, was lost, and is found." What a perspective from the father. What a, what a representation of God. When I read this when I was younger, I always put my shoes with the, the prodigal son. I was the lost one. I was doing the, the mistake. That was my perspective. But Christ is kind of directing this parable at the Pharisees. Well, who are the Pharisees in this story? Well, they're the older son. They're always following, always obeying. And all of a sudden, they're, they're, they're sinful, defiled, broken brother comes home. The one that has kind of tore the family apart is now home, and now he's getting the party. What, what is this? Like, this isn't fair. And so Christ is telling to the Pharisee, look, we should, have a, we should celebrate every sinner. Every person that doesn't know me has value. Some things that I kind of picked out and pulled out in this is um, the Jewish word for lost has some, some different um, translations. You can just use lost as destroyed, um, married, or, or broken, or um, gone. Like it's, it's not, you can't find it. So when they're talking about this lost son, he's, he's gone, he's dead, he's perished. This perished son has now been saved. That's kind of an, another way to look at that. So what does it mean for us here at, at Kerrang Baptist? Like, where are we with this? What are our takeaways? These are the, some things that I've taken away, and I hope that through this week you kind of wrestle with your own um, that it takes effort. It takes effort from the shepherd. It takes effort from the, the lady. And it takes effort from the father 
to, to find these valuable coins, to find these valuable sheep. It takes effort from us to go out into our community and to find the sinners, to find people that just don't feel like they belong. Another thing is, everyone knows a lost sheep. Everybody knows an old Bertha. Everybody knows somebody in their life that actually needs Christ's good word, gospel, to them. Do we seek them? Do we go through the bush? Do we do the, the K walk? Do we, do we seek them out? So we all know somebody who's out there that needs Christ. Um, I'm so impressed by some people here that every day it's a new, react, new interaction with somebody. It's a new soul that I can just communicate God's love to. I wish that was me. I wish I had that on the forefront of my tongue, that how can I show God's love to this person when they cut me off in traffic? How can I show God's love when they are being very short with me, when they, they overcharge me, when they hurt me? How can I show God's love to this person? Because that person's valuable. You were once lost. You were once that coin in the dirt. And God had a party for you. If you claim Christ is your Savior, there was a party for you in heaven once you committed your life. When you've seen where your life is going, and I can tell you, any route that is a sinful route will always end in death and destruction. The prodigal son just got there faster. The drugs, the way he was living will never fulfill. There's never that pit that's going to stop. And, and he hit rock bottom. There are people that we know that have hit at rock bottom that have not had that realization of that return back to Christ. So they sit there and they wait. Do we find them in the dust? How do I find that joy, that celebration of finding the coin? Now, I don't have that, and I struggle with that too. It's, I find lost things all the time. I don't care. That's just how it is. But do I love the Lord, and do I have his perspective that I have found this valuable object and I have returned it into a right standing with Christ? Do I have that? And do I, does, it, does it just burn inside of me that gives me joy that when I find that, we got to get together. we got, we got to celebrate. It's going to happen. Let's go. Come on. Let's do this. Or do I just sit back and it's every day is the same. And Tuesday bleeds into Wednesday, Thursday. It's Friday. Oh, let's knock off and just relax and put our feet up. Or do we really put that effort into finding that, that sheep that's lost? The Lord has, has put so many things for us to find that person and to bring them back to them, back to him. And this one's a hard one. This one hits me. At Kerrang Baptist Church, are we a Pharisee club? Or are we a club that brings in the sinners, brings in the people that feel welcomed and warmed? They, they come through that door and they don't, they don't see this. Oh, I don't get that. And oh, you don't get that either. Do they feel welcome? Or is it, I like to hang out with you because you like me and I think like you. So let's just do this. Let's, all those other people, we'll make ourselves better. We'll read this Bible of ours and we'll feel good because we love the Lord. But that's where it ends. Isn't that kind of like the Pharisees? It was a club. It's a club where they said, 
we have our rules. I like you, you like me, we follow the rules, let's go. Or is it you? I don't know who you are, but I want to know you. And the Lord wants to let, like, let his love go into your heart. Let's come on. Like, there was a guy I knew at high school, Kyle Roby. He was, he was a big Irish kid. Like, he stood. Like, he was the mixture between a rugby player and a football player. He was massive. Everybody he came across, he loved. Like, I was one year older than him in, in school. And I was like, first, I was like, man, like, I don't know you. You got something you're trying to sell. Like, you're trying to, you're trying to get in, into my world. I don't know you. Just, we didn't have COVID distancing rules, but I wish I could have. Take a step back, please. But he kept on loving and, oh, Stephen, how are you doing? Like, it was almost too bubbly, but he stayed after it. And then I was like, okay, there's no person in this world that would continually come after me and show love to me on this kind of a, no agenda would pay off the way this person comes after me. And so do we do that? Does somebody just get warm by our presence around them? Do they feel accepted? Who they are? Dirty dollar, messed up coin, maybe a little bit broken on the edges, we don't care. You have value in the Lord's eyes. So let's find you. Let's bring you back to Christ. I struggle with that too. I'm not saying this like, ha ha, I got you on that one. There you go. But it's more like, I need to find value in the person that I sit down in my seat and they sit beside me and I scoot over. That's the person I'm talking about. That's the person that we need to find, that we need to love. And we need to show God's love too. Challenging, very challenging. But I love that the Lord speaks in ways that it makes sense. Like the coin has value. The sheep have value. You have value. And the person who is lost has value. And what a party it is in heaven and in here, hopefully, that once that person is found, how awesome is that? Max, thank you very much. Thank you guys for listening.